0: CHAPTER 1 INVASION THE FAR SHORE The singing stopped as the Norman coast drew near. Stars threw down their silver spears on a long column of 800 airplanes, ferrying 13,000 American paratroopers to battle. Dead ahead in the moonlight lay the Cotentin Peninsula, famed for cattle and stiff with Germans. Jumpmasters barked above the engine drone, ordering the men to their feet. With a portentous click, the sixteen or seventeen jumpers in each bay snapped their parachutes to static lines running overhead. Shortly after 1 a.m. on Tuesday, June 6, 1944, a captain standing in the slipstream of an open doorway peered down at the white surf beating against a beach. "'Say hello to France!' he shouted. Red lights flashed to warn that four minutes ahead lay the drop zones. Then France vanished. A gray cloud bank, unsuspected and so thick that pilots could barely see their own wingtips, swallowed planes, then groups of planes. Formations disintegrated as the C-47 Dakotas climbed and dove to avoid colliding. Dark patches of earth swam up through the murk only to disappear And now German anti-aircraft fire, like so many lighted tennis balls, in one witness's description, began to rip into the clouds. Enemy tracers thick enough to walk on stitched the flax-spangled sky, one paratrooper reported, and shells blew through the aluminum skins as if someone threw a keg of nails against the side of the airplane. Even as the cloud bank thinned to the east, bewildered crewmen mistook one French village for another. Some of the pathfinders who had parachuted an hour earlier either missed the drop zones they were supposed to illuminate or else found enemy troops infesting the ground. Cargo bundles got stuck in aircraft doors, delaying the queued troopers for two miles or more. Other planes failed to descend to the specified jump height of 500 feet, or to slow to 110 miles an hour. Shoots ripped open with such G-force violence that anything in my jump pants pocket simply burst through the reinforced bottom seams, a trooper recalled. Rations, grenades, underwear, and cooing pigeons spilled into the night. Gunfire thickened like a wall of flame. Rather than half a minute, the trip down took a thousand years, a private later told his family. Another soldier hurtled earthward beneath burning shreds of silk. Men in parachutes that failed to open hit the ground with a sound likened by one soldier to watermelons falling off the back of a truck. Operation Albany, the 101st Airborne Mission, was intended to seize four elevated causeways, each roughly a mile apart, leading from Utah Beach to the Cotentown interior. American planners knew that marshlands behind the sea dunes had been flooded with two to four feet of water by German engineers. Planners did not know that German occupiers closed some floodgates and opened others, allowing tidal surges to create an inland sea ten miles long and up to ten feet deep. No one was more surprised than the many flailing paratroopers who, upon arriving over the coast of France, had removed their life vests in the airplane bays, only to be pulled to brackish graves by their heavy kit. At 4 a.m., as thousands of lost and scattered parachutists blundered about in the dark, the first 52 gliders arrived like a swarm of ravens in one German description. Cut loose from their tow planes, they drifted to earth. Pilots, who had rarely if ever flown at night, felt for the unseen ground while bullets punctured the glider's fabric skins with a sound likened by a flight officer to typewriter keys banging on loose paper. Of more than 6,000 jumpers from the 101st Airborne, barely 1,000 had landed on or near the H-hour objectives on this Tuesday morning. Most of the 1,500-odd, who had drifted far beyond the 8-mile square enclosing the division drop zones, would be killed or captured. A few made their way to safety with maps torn from local telephone books by French farmers. The 101st commander, Major General Maxwell Taylor, wandered in the dark with a drawn pistol and a dime store cricket.